Alleluia, Christ is risen. Now, this sermon this morning is kind of a part two of uh, a bigger sermon that was the first part of which was last week. These are the things that Jesus said on the way out. He's leaving. He knows he's going to be coming back at some point. He told his disciples, only the Father knows the day and the hour when I will return, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't be sad. And now I'll come back and take you to be with me. And while I'm gone, those who believe in me are going to do the works that I have done. You're going to continue what I have been doing, and you're going to do even greater things than these. Jesus raised people, a few people from the dead. He fed people by multiplying loaves and fish. But in the church, the greater works that we do, we gather together to eat the food of immortality. We receive forgiveness of sins in the meal that we share in the fellowship of this altar. Jesus, yeah, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus ruled and died again. We receive eternal life through the waters of baptism here. Those are the greater works that we do in the church that Jesus was talking about. And that, in a nutshell, is what we heard last week. This week is Jesus speaking a little bit more about comfort. And, then, and let me ask you, have you ever wondered how hard it would be for the disciples to hear Jesus saying, guys, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't follow. We're going to be separated now for a little while, actually a long time, like 2,000 years at least. Think of all the miracles that they'd seen and all the marvelous teachings they'd heard, right? The displays of grace, patience, and love that they witnessed in others with their interactions with Jesus and that they experienced themselves in their own personal interactions with Jesus. And now Jesus, their comfort, their hope, their security, and their joy is leaving. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow What's their future going to hold? What does this mean for the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking so much about? What about these last three years of ministry, building a following, building a reputation and a platform? What's going to come of all of that? How are they supposed to move forward? They're heartbroken. And Jesus knows this. And that's why he says this to them. I am not going to leave you alone. I'm leaving, and it's actually for your good, because I'm going to ask the Father, and he is going to send you another helper who will be with you forever. But he starts, he prefaces that with this qualification. If you want to follow along with the gospel reading, you can. It's printed there for you in the back of your bulletin, and it's a pretty short reading, so theoretically, this should be a pretty short sermon. Theoretically. Jesus makes love for him the big thing. He didn't come to be another lawgiver. He didn't come to be Moses 2.0. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And to do a new thing, something that the law was powerless to do. He came to give us hearts. He, he removed our hearts of stone, as Ezekiel talked about. Ezekiel prophesied this promise. God said, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Have you ever walked up to a statue made out of stones and tried talking to it? Can that statue talk back to you? Can it respond to you? you say, I love you. 
Does it talk back? No. Most of the time, anyway. No. Maybe if you're in a Disney movie, it will. But in real life, no. Stone things are dead. They cannot respond. We are all born with hearts of stone. And through the gospel of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, God has given us all heart transplants. So now we can respond to the Lord when he moves within us and speaks to us. When he comes to us through Holy Scripture, through the waters of baptism, through the Lord's body and blood. And so Jesus says, see to it that you love me with this heart of yours. You will keep my commandments. Don't keep my commandments into loving me. Love me, he says. Love me. And you will keep my commandments. And what are his commandments? Well, things we've mentioned. Things like take, eat. Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He also says, just as I have loved you, so also you should love one another. And he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I am with you to the very end of the age, he says. Dr. Martin Luther puts a little bit more flesh on these words of Jesus. He says it like this. This is the voice of Jesus speaking to us. It is hard for me to accomplish your redemption and it costs me my life. I'm hurling myself into death and into the jaws of the devil to deliver you from sin and death, to destroy the power of hell and the devil and to present you with heaven and all that I have. I will gladly pardon you if you err and sin at times, even if you fall grossly. That's German for bigly. Also, if you are weak and frail, Jesus says, I will gladly pardon you. But only if you return to me, manifest your love again. Jesus doesn't want obedience from us principally. He wants love from the heart that he gave us. And he says, and also forgive one another as I do to you so that your mutual love will not be destroyed. Jesus cares about mutual love within the church. Now, Jesus' words are nice, but how can we have assurance that in our weakness, in our frailty, we actually can love him? Love me, and you'll keep my commandments. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I can't love Jesus. I don't have the strength to love Jesus. I'm not holy enough to love Jesus. Well, that's where this promise of the comfort comes in. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, some translations say, comfort others say. The Greek word for this is paraclete, um, which is kind of a legal term, lawyer, counselor, advocate, helper. You know, it's a bad idea to go pro se, represent yourself in court, because people devote their entire lives to figuring out how to work for a person's, a client's best interests in a court of law. And it's a metaphor, and at a, a certain point, all metaphors break. But the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our advocate in the courts of heaven. 
Jesus says, the world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now. Jesus says, guys, he's been with us this whole time, and pretty soon he's going to be in you. On the day of Pentecost, remember when the tongues of fire come down and the, dis the disciples all start preaching the gospel in foreign languages such that everybody in Jerusalem understands the message of the cross. So who is this? Let's walk through this real briefly. He's the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, who leads into all truth. This is the third member of the Trinity we're talking about. Let's be clear about that. This isn't some other <coughs> spiritual helper out there. This is the Holy Spirit, who is not the Son, who is not the Father, but who, with the Son and the Father, is fully God, fully divine. And Jesus says the Spirit is going to lead into all truth. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, remember... Last week, Jesus said in John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us on the way. Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the way to life. And then he says, the Holy Spirit is going to live within you and he will lead you into truth. You don't have to find it yourself. You don't have to get out your compass and navigate on your own. The Holy Spirit leads you in the way of Jesus. Will the world react to him like it did to Jesus? Well, no, because the world can't see the Holy Spirit. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it isn't looking for him. The world isn't looking for the Holy Spirit. And even if the world did see the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> The Holy Spirit, in other words, is only able to be received by those who are looking for him and recognize him. And in a culture that senselessly and kind of ironically demands that a thing be proven with cold, hard facts and logic before you can, be, before you can believe in it, our Lord says, you can't receive the Holy Spirit unless you believe first. St. Augustine, an early church leader, says this, understanding is the reward of faith. Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, do not seek to understand in order to believe, but believe that you may understand. We don't go out and find the Holy Spirit. We don't go out and call the Spirit down on ourselves. Rather, the Spirit calls us. And if we don't resist God's grace, we receive this helper. From our own Lutheran confessions, from something, if you're confirmed in a Lutheran church, uh, you might remember. I believe, maybe one of our recent confirmants, Lauren, there you are. Hey, oh wow. It's funny how every time Sawyer moves, your head looks right behind it too. I'm just kidding. It goes like this. This is the explanation from the small catechism to the third article of the creed. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength come, believe to Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified me, and kept me in the true faith. Not just me. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. The Holy Spirit comes to you and gives you faith to receive. So Jesus says to them, 
But you know him. The world can't receive him. The world isn't looking for him. The world doesn't recognize him. But you, my friends, my brothers, my beloved, you know him. Because he's been with you. And soon he will be in you. And you and I live well after, right? This, this point in time when Jesus is talking to them, we can't really imagine what it's like to not have the Holy Spirit in us. Um, but to still believe in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit around us, that, that's just like a different era in the history of redemption. Because after Pentecost, God's Spirit has taken up residence within everyone who believes. We are like the tabernacle with the pillar of cloud or fire descending on it, the glory of God, like in Exodus. Or when they built a temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, when they consecrated it and they asked God's blessing and God's glory, boom, came down and filled it. It's not as visible and magnificent and ah, for us. But God's presence is in you. You are a temple of the Lord. However great and precious a privilege it was to have the Lord as the personal friend and counselor during his life on earth. This is another Lutheran commentator on this passage. It is a greater gift that henceforth the disciples were to have the Holy Spirit in their own hearts. Do you ever get jealous of the disciples? Like, man, they got to live with Jesus. They walked around, they saw him face to face. They knew what Jesus' handshake felt like. They knew what it felt like to get a hug from Jesus. They saw Jesus weep in the face of earth's sorrows. They knew what his laughter sounded like. They heard Jesus tell jokes. Someday we'll all know all of those things and more in, an inter- in, in eternity of eternities. That's a mouthful. It's hard to speak. It's even harder to imagine what it would be like to see Jesus face to face forever. But it's even more blessed to have the Holy Spirit now in this life in our hearts. So let's sum this all up. What Jesus said on the way out is tremendously important for us now while he's gone. Last week I gave the example of my dad leaving for work in the summer and school was out and you know, he wanted us to be, um, what was the word? He wanted us to contribute to society, I think it was, that he said to us. So he would ask us to do things like, first of all, rise from the bed. Like <laughs> rising from the dead. Rise from the bed, mow the lawn, Sweep out the garage while all the cars are, you know, out for the day. Do these things. And when I come home, we'll go out to Las Margaritas for Mexican tonight, or something like that. Right? But um, every now and then, he would come back and we hadn't done what he had asked us. So what he said before he was leaving um, was important for the time when he was gone. Because if he came back and stuff wasn't done, we couldn't just, like, go back and undo that. Right? What Jesus says before he's leaving is way more important than what my dad, the chores my dad gave me, or the chores your parents gave you when they were leaving for the day. Remember, last week he said, if you believe in me, you're going to be continuing my works, and you're going to do even greater works than what I've done. Friends, us gathered here today in God's own country, Mulkey Township, this is a greater thing than Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is a greater thing than Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We are doing something that Peter, who our church is named after, could not even imagine. 
What we are doing here today is the hope, the promise of the Psalms and the prophets when it says, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Sometimes we feel like we're the, you know, everywhere else is the ends of the earth. <laughs> we're the center of the earth, right? We are the ends of the earth. And not just because we live in Sibley County. We, I've, I've heard it said, um, Walker Township in St. Peter's, you know, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. But I have enough good authority that actually just over that hill where you can see is, is Bowie Dairy. So it's not, uh, the end of the world has to be a little bit further down than that. So, okay, must be Renville County. That's the end of the year. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. This week, the most important thing for you to focus on, Jesus said. Remember, that was last week. You're going to do greater works than I've done. This week is part two of what Jesus said on the way out. The most, the most important thing for you to focus on, brothers and sisters, while I am gone, Jesus says, is that you love me. Don't lose that. Don't get caught up in religious activities or exercises or the habit of going to church thinking that that will keep the flame burning in your heart. Love me for who I am and for what I've done for you. And if you do that, you will gladly keep my commandments. Your lives will bear fruit. Not in like a sell everything you own and go preach in a, in a remote country somewhere, although for some people that is the Lord's calling. But as you work and as you parent, mothers, as you do your work of mothering, maybe work isn't the right word. Nikki and I talked about this. Work, labor, it's love. As we live and as we love the people in our lives, the gospel bears its fruit in our relationships, in our careers, in our families. And to help us along, the Holy Spirit will be present with us to keep, to help us and guide us and comfort us forever. Christians, your Lord has not forgotten you in these 2,000 years. It's a long time for him to be away. But he's not forgotten. He's busy preparing a place for you. You are on his mind as he is, you know, squaring up the corners of your mansion and, you know, putting in the joist hangers and all, you know, whatever he's doing up there. And because he knows exactly what it's like to live in this world, to be tempted by sin, to suffer at the hands of others, to suffer the assaults of the devil, to ask why God, in the face of things that cannot be explained, if God is good and God is powerful, why do I suffer? Why is Mother's Day so hard? Jesus knows what that's like. Remember, from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it's like to be anxious, to be betrayed, to feel like you're hanging on by just a thread before you snap. Wasn't very good snap. Before you snap. Jesus knows what it's like to be frightened by death. Because Jesus knows all that and because he loves you, he gives you the comfort. He has made provisions for you to know 
comfort and peace and truth, even in his absence. And that is by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And until our Lord returns or calls us home, we carry on living and believing and loving Jesus and others. Last week, I cited 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. And last week, the context was um, a little bit of a calling to the carpet for us all, like a reminder, like we are not the captains of our own destiny. Jesus bought us with his blood. If you want to go your own way and you don't want to give up your sin, that is bad news that you were bought at a price. Because now you're out of step with the one who purchased you. But for those of you who love Jesus, this is great news. Because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus not to be slaves, but to be children of God. My mic is popping. That's a signal. i got to wrap this up. We have bought, we have been purchased by Jesus to be his brothers and sisters, his fellow heirs, his friends. Jesus purchased the right to give us the comfort of the Holy Spirit, who would never abandon us or leave us in despair, so that we would follow our good shepherds leading through paths of righteousness all the days of our lives, like it says in Psalm 23. So when we get the chance to sing a 10 stanza hymn <laughs> that invites us to proclaim the wonders God has done, even if you're like, oh, wow, are you serious? Ten stanzas. I see some of these faces out here. Something in our hearts says, okay, I can do that. I can do that. In fact, yes, you know what? I love to tell the story of what my Lord has done for me. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, May he equip you with all you need for doing his will, and may he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.